This is chapter 12 now, the uh, uh, awakening factors. So we're still in uh, Dhammanupasana, and this is on the Bojangas, the awakening factors. The mental qualities that form the topic of the next contemplation of Dhammas provide the conditions conducive to awakening, which is why they're termed awakening factors, Bojanga, so Bo is uh, enlightenment, like Bodhi tree, and Anga is a limb, or like a, like your arm or your leg is an Anga. Uh, Atangika, Maga, the eightfold path, the eight-limbed path. So Bojanga, the, the limbs uh, of enlightenment, awakening factors, um, factors of enlightenment. <coughs> Those are all terms that are used various times. And just as a river inclines and flows towards the ocean, so the awakening factors incline towards Nibbāna. And that's an image that the, the Buddha used um, just as the river Ganges inclines towards uh, the sea. And uh, many of these quotations come from the Bojanga Sangyuta, so they connected discourses about the seven factors of enlightenment, which is um, section 46 in the connected discourses. So the many, many of the quotations uh, today come from that. So that was Sutta number 77. Uh, 77 in the Bojanga Sangita. The instructions for contemplating the awakening factors are If the mindfulness awakening factor is present in him, he knows. There is the mindfulness awakening factor in me. If the mindfulness awakening factor is not present in him, he knows. There is no mindfulness awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen mindfulness awakening factor can arise and how the arisen mindfulness awakening factor can be perfected by development. If the investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor is present in him, he knows, and so too with uh, each of the, uh, the seven uh, bojangas. If the energy uh, awakening factor is present, uh, first one, sati, is uh, the, uh, number one. Number two, dhamma-vichaya, investigation of Dhammas. Virya is the third one, energy. Uh, fourth one is piti. If the joy awakening factor is present in him, he knows. Then pasadhi is the, uh, the uh, fifth one. If the tranquility awakening factor is present in him, he knows. If the concentration, samadhi, uh, awakening factor is present in him, he knows. And then lastly, the seventh one is upeka, equanimity. If the equanimity awakening factor is present in him, he knows. There is the equanimity awakening factor in me. If the equanimity awakening factor is not present in him, he knows. There is no equanimity awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen equanimity awakening factor can arise and how the arisen equanimity awakening factor can be perfected by development. I think, first of all, that's of note, but Venerable Analia doesn't pick up on it which is, is uh, interesting to me and many others have, have remarked on it over the years. Um, uh, if, the mindfulness awakening, if the mindfulness awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no mindfulness awakening factor in me. So right there, you might think, the, the logicians amongst us might think, hang on a minute, that's a non sequitur. How can he be mindful that there's no mindfulness? But it's it's a matter of degree. So just as 
um, in the Chitanupasana, there can be the uh, mindfulness of the fact that the, the mind is distracted, that, uh, you know, the mind is unconcentrated. There's enough, um, uh, uh, say, attunement to the present to realize I'm completely scattered. Or, or like, um, I'm, uh, you know, to, uh, this moment, well, I've, uh, there's, a, there's a lack of mindfulness. So even though the mind, you're saying, oh, I'm totally unmindful at the moment, the very fact that you're that you're recognizing it um, indicates there is a degree. There's a like a, a toehold of of, a, of mindfulness is there, um, but uh, um, it's also one of those interesting things to, to contemplate. You you can know that you don't know. You can know that you're you're scattered. You can know that you're confused. Uh, you can know that the mind is completely deranged. And so the more that one develops. The quality of, of mindfulness and wisdom, and also non-identification, non-attachment to mind states, you can be fully aware of a mind you know, hallucinating uh, with kind of weird uh, images and sounds, and it can be uh, completely all over the place, which is really useful, because our minds are not always under our control. And as we get older, and as we are prone to sickness, then it gets less and less under control. So the mind that can be aware, like, wow, it's completely out of control today. Look at that, it's all over the place. This is totally deranged. The mind that knows it's deranged is not deranged. And so that, that knowing can be a, um, uh, quite a, 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 make a, a radical difference in, in attitude. And um, the more that one develops that, the more you are prepared for um, uh, dementia, senile or non-senile, pre-senile, <laughs> Alzheimer's degrees, of, uh, Alzheimer's, disease of various degrees and and so forth because it's it's a non-trivial issue you can you can be uh, attentive the mind can be aware of its own scatteredness its own its own confusion and particularly if you're very tired or you're you're ill or you're having some kind of um, fever or, or some sort of medicine or reaction to a, 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 a medical treatment or something um, the mind can can be all over the place. We, we can be experiencing all kinds of weird uh, distortions that, on one level, will be be totally um, disorienting. But but the uh, the more that that quality of mindfulness is established, then the more that there's a refuge. And so you can say, "Oh, look at that! Interesting." <laughs> so he doesn't pick up on that particular point. But I thought I would put that in. You're scratching your ear, not asking a question. Exactly. Right. Okay. Very good. Contemplation of the awakening factors proceeds similarly to the contemplation of the hindrances. First, awareness turns to the presence or absence of the mental quality in question, and then to the conditions for its presence or absence. However, while in the case of contemplating the hindrances, Awareness is concerned with the conditions for their future non-arising. With the awakening factors, the task is to know how to develop and firmly establish these beneficial mental qualities. So with the hindrances, the nivaranas, then you're looking to, to uh, um, uh, say, establish a quality of prevention as well. Uh, so not just knowing whether they're there or not, or um, how to um, uh, dispel them, but um, or to prevent them from arising in the future, that aspect doesn't appear in this um, Satipatthana for the, uh, the seven factors of enlightenment. So, first of all, there's a knowing if they're absent, um, 
uh, and then knowing the conditions that lead to their arising and development. And if they're present, then it focuses on knowing the conditions that lead to their further development and, and perfection. Like the contemplation of the hindrances, the instructions for contemplating the awakening factors do not mention any active endeavor to set up or maintain a particular awakening factor, apart from the, the, um, the more general uh, overall task uh, of setting up awareness. However, just as the mere presence of sati can counter a hindrance, so the presence of sati uh, can promote the arising of the other awakening factors. In fact, according to the Anapanasati Sutta, it's the Majima, uh, in the Majima Nikaya Sutta number 118, uh, the seven awakening factors form a conditionally, conditionally related sequence with sati as its initial cause and foundation. This suggests that the development of the awakening factors is a natural outcome of practicing satipatthana. So if you remember the other day I read that out, I didn't bother to, to um, uh, bring, it, bring it again and, and repeat it today. But uh, when the Buddha, at the end of the... Um, uh, going through the uh, the Satipatthanas, the Buddha then says, and how does the, the four Satipatthanas uh, support the development of the seven factors of the enlightenment? And then he starts with Sati, Sati leads to Virya, sorry, uh, um, Sati uh, leads to Dhamma Vijaya, investigation of Dhammas, investigation leads to Virya, Virya leads to Joy, uh, Joy leads to tranquility, tranquility leads to concentration, concentration leads to equanimity. And that's uh, and then it says and so how do the seven factors of enlightenment lead to um, knowledge and vision and deliverance? So that that um, that what he's referring to there is that causal sequence, like you're starting with sati, it leads directly through the through the list. And as I and as I said then, sometimes you do get the the say the seven put in a causal chain like that. And similarly with the eightfold path, um, you have. Right view leads to uh, right uh, intention. Right intention leads to uh, right uh, thought and, uh, and and right speech, right action, right livelihood. As a sort of A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D. So that's one of the places where you have the seven factors of enlightenment as a causal chain. Other places they're they're simply grouped uh, together as a, a collection of qualities and not so much related in a in a causal sequence like that. And in the um, Bojanga Sangyuta, that section uh, of the connected discourses, um, you know, some uh, uh, a lot of the those those uh, teachings they just relate to the different factors in relationship with each other, but not as sort of one causing another. But also how they um, they balance each other, they offset each other, or they they're related to each other in different ways. <coughs> Besides providing the foundation for the other factors, sati is, moreover, the one awakening factor whose development is beneficial at any time and on all occasions. And if you remember, that's the, it comes from that, um, that discourse about the bonfire, uh, looking after a fire, which is... Um, uh, so the, the Bojanga Sangyuta is section 46. So it's Sangyuta 46, Sutta number 53 is the one where he uses the images of, of looking after a fire. And um, so you have, if you remember, probably most of you were there when I was talking about it, but uh, if you remember, um, 
developing uh, and, and dampening the, the enlightenment factors according to, to what's needed. So if you're already a bit dull and tired, um, then it's like a, a fire that's uh, smoky, the, flame, the, the flames haven't really caught, uh, um, the wood is a bit damp. Um, so he said if, uh, uh, if a fire is not burning well, then you, if you put on wet grass or, or green wood, or you throw, you sprinkle earth on it, it's just going to make it burn even less well. So instead, you put on dry grass and some kindling, dry kindling and, and dry wood, and, and then you help it to, the, the flames to pick up and the, the fire will burn more effectively. So if you're already a bit dull and a bit tired, you don't need more tranquility and, and concentration or equanimity. You need more um, uh, virya, more energy, more rapture, more investigation. So similarly, if you're already kind of bouncing off your cushion and your mind is very agitated and bright and, and energized, uh, like a, a fire, is already, the flames are already leaping up um, yeah, uh, uh, three or four feet in the air, um, and uh, you don't need to put on dry wood and kindling and dry grass and such because the flames are already uh, pretty wild. So you put on a bit of, of wet grass, some green wood, um, and sprinkle some earth on it to dampen the flames down to balance things. So similarly, uh, if the mind is very agitated, very bright, very energized, um, then you lean towards the development of tranquility, pasadhi, uh, samadhi, concentration, upeka, equanimity. Those are the dampening factors. And, uh, and he says uh, that uh, um, the last line of that sutta, the Buddha says, but sati is always relevant. You know, sati is always pertinent. Mindfulness is always applicable. Whether you're burning hot, burning cold, or you're just in the middle, then mindfulness is is always um, appropriate. And then the note on that, uh, I think that the, the commentary on that sutta um, and uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's note is that uh, it says that uh, just like salt uh, improves the flavor of every curry, and a good prime minister benefits every state, mindfulness benefits every uh, every situation. And yeah, in his note he, uh, on that he says... Um, uh, <clears throat> the Buddha emphatically stated in that sutta that my, uh, sati is always useful. This usefulness of sati is illustratively compared by the commentary to the need for salt when preparing food. The central importance of sati is also brought out in the Patisambhida Magga, um, according to which uh, sati forms the essential condition for contemplation and for knowledge. So, Sati um, is always beneficial. The remaining six factors can be split into two groups, two groups of three. Investigation of dhammas, dhammavichaya, energy, virya, and joy, pt, are particularly appropriate when the mind is sluggish and deficient in energy, while tranquility, pasadhi, concentration, samadhi, and equanimity, upeka, are suitable for occasions when the mind is excited and over-energetic. And that bonfire sutta is um, uh, sutta number 53 in the Bojanga In the conditional sequence of the awakening factors, investigation of dhammas, dhammavichaya, develops out of well-established mindfulness. Such investigation of dhammas seems to combine two aspects. On the one hand, an inquiry into the nature of experience, by taking dhammas to stand for phenomena, so dhamma with a small d. 
and on the other, a correlation of this experience with the teachings of the Buddha, the Dhamma with the Big D. And um, as he points out, this twofold character also underlies the word investigation, vichaya, derived from the word vichinati, whose range of meanings includes both investigating and discriminating. And he also helpfully points out that, um, again, in the Bojanga Sangyutta, you get um, Dhamma Vichaya, meaning um, investigation of phenomena, uh, in uh, Sutta number three in the Bojanga Sangyutta, and reflecting on the Buddha's teaching uh, on, in Sutta number 52. So that both of those um, meanings are reflected in um, different suttas of that same that same collection. So Sutta number three is Dhamma with a small d, Sutta number 52 is Dhamma with a, a big d. Thus, investigation of dhammas can be understood as an investigation of subjective experience based on the discrimination gained through familiarity with the dhamma, big D. So he's handily putting both of those aspects together in a single sentence, um, which he's very good at doing. He's very extremely skilled with uh, thought and language in this way, I feel. It's uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to read this, this book out this winter, because uh, Venerable Anale is very... Uh, astute and skilled at putting these things together like this. So he says, investigation of dhammas can be understood as an investigation of subjective experience based on the discrimination gained through familiarity with the dhamma, with the big D. Such discrimination refers in particular to the ability to distinguish between what is wholesome, or skillful for progress on the path, and what is unwholesome or unskillful. This directly contrasts investigation of dhammas, dhammavichaya, with the hindrance of doubt, vichikicha, which arises owing to the lack of clarity about what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. And um, this uh, then refers to a, um, this, a sutta, which is one of the main ones in this, uh, where it's talking about, it talks about feeding the hindrances and starving the factors of enlightenment or starving the hindrances and feeding the factors of enlightenment. And so that uh, that's sutta number two. That's the second sutta in the Bojanga Sangyutta. So, um, and so that, that playing off the two sets with each other, the five hindrances on the one side and the seven factors of enlightenment on the other, um, that uh, goes through, the Buddha goes through that in quite some detail in that second discourse, sutta number two in the Bojanga Sangyutta. And, um, and in that, uh, the uh, Vichikicha doubt is, uh, uh, so is characterized by a lack of clarity about what's, what's wholesome, what's unwholesome, what's going to be beneficial, what's, what's, uh, what's harmful, and such like. Whereas uh, Dhamma Vijaya, uh, inve investigation of reality, then part of that is in a way that the, the sense of sila, what they call the um, sila dhamma, <coughs> the, the um, um, the sila, uh, sila tamma is like not just the keep, sila as in keeping the rules, but the quality of virtue uh, of your own nature, your own your own heart, um, and so that that um, dhamma vijaya is very much related to that. So also the qualities of uh, hiriyotapa, <coughs> like moral sensitivity, 
it's recognizing, oh, well, that wasn't really true, or that wasn't very kind, or, um, yeah, well, this is a good way to go, or, yeah, that, that's going to be helpful. So that, um, uh, that aspect um, of, of what's helpful, what's unhelpful, what's skillful, what's unskillful, what's virtuous, what's unvirtuous, is all woven in there as a part of, of Dhamma Vijaya. The development of investigation of dhammas, in turn, arouses the awakening factor of energy, virya. The arising of such energy is related to putting forth effort. So that the effort is uh, vayama. The discourses further qualify such energy with the attribute unshaken, or also they, they use the term persistence. Uh, persistence is another word that's used in relationship to it. This qualification draws attention to the need for effort or energy to be applied with continuity, a specification which parallels the quality of being diligent, atapi, mentioned in the definition part of the Satipatthana Sutta. So atapi, satima, um, uh, uh, mindful um, uh, and uh, diligent, ardent and self-controlled and so on. According to the discourses, energy can manifest either mentally or physically. As an awakening factor, energy stands in direct opposition to the hindrance of sloth and torpor, tinamida. So this is also an aspect uh, um, that uh, comes across in Ajahn Chah's teaching a lot. Because when we talk about energy, that energy can be associated with just sort of uh, enthusiasm or excitement or, yeah, let's do it, yeah, I'm going to... Uh, so that energy can be sort of taken up with a, a kind of um, uh, cluelessness or a, a lack of wisdom or a lack of, of um, sensitivity or, or an energy that's very brief, like a, a sort of a, a burst of energy. Or um, And this is how often we, we think of being energetic, the expenditure of energy in, in ordinary everyday life. But uh, this quality of consistency uh, or a steady application of energy was something that you come across over and over again in Ajahn Chah's teachings, and he, so he uh, he talks about a, a consistency of practice. So he was a master of making succinct statements, um, and um, that are very memorable. So he said, if you f if you don't if you feel like practicing, you practice. If you don't feel like practicing, you practice. <laughs> so that's a simple way of re remembering it. Like when they go, oh, I don't really, I don't really feel up to it today. I think I think I have a day off. No. <laughs> it's like, well, and he would say, well, do you want to have a day off breathing? Yeah. Have you, uh, give oxygen a break for a while? Like, no. So um, that, um, that quality of virya is not just sort of, yes, but it's, a, it's the uh, element of persistence uh, and steadiness and a continuity of application is, is a, the virya that is a factor of, uh, of uh, enlightenment, a factor of awakening. In the sequence of the awakening factors, energy in turn leads to the arising of joy, piti. Joy as an awakening factor is clearly a non-sensual type of joy, such as the joy that can be experienced during absorption attainment. The progression of the awakening factors then leads from joy, piti, via tranquility, pasadhi, to concentration, samadhi. 
This echoes a causal sequence often described elsewhere in the discourses, which similarly proceeds from joy, tranquility and happiness, to concentration and culminates with the arising of wisdom and realization. And so that one very famous teaching of the Buddha is that is the one that's called proximal cause, and that's in the Nidana Sangyutta, the, the connected discourses about causality. That's, uh, so that's section 12 of the um, Sangyutta Nikaya. And this uh, Sutta number 23, it's um, where uh, the, um, uh, the the Buddha describes uh, the sort of the sequence um, uh, of um, one thing leading to another to another, and and it uh, within that, then um, you have, as he says, uh, well, it, it doesn't include all of them here, but say for example, um, if the mind is uh, when when the someone keeps the precepts, then they are free from remorse. Someone who is free from remorse is physically relaxed. Someone who is physi physically relaxed, they experience joy. Uh, joy leads to, tra to tranquility, to, um, to pasati. Tranquility leads uh, to sukha, contentment or happiness. Uh, contentment leads to samadhi, concentration. And then concentration leads to uh, uh, knowledge and vision of the way things are. Yata bhutang jnana-dasanang. And that leads to uh, uh, dispassion, detachment, and, and liberation. So that's a, that's a, a well-known discourse. And uh, in a, at the end of it, the Buddha says, just as when the rain falls on the mountains, and uh, the rain forms into little pools, and then uh, forms into small streams, and the, the small streams feed large, larger streams, the larger streams uh, feed the small rivers, the small rivers feed into the, the bigger rivers, then, in the same way, um, uh, just as the, the, the rain falling uh, sort of naturally follows these channels, so uh, this is uh, um, uh, in exactly the same way these wholesome states arise uh, based on these, these uh, skillful causes, and that uh, you don't have to, to will or to intend it to make it happen. It's, it's a, a, a natural result, just like the, the rain falling on the mountain doesn't have to decide that it's going to go downhill. It just it just goes, and it doesn't have to decide whether it's going to join up with the other streams. It just they just join up together. So similarly, when the, their heart is free from remorse, then this causes for contentment and joy and uh, tranquility and so forth naturally arise, and then create the the conditions where insight can can form. So if you want to look at that, look that up. That's to, uh, in the. Um, uh, Nidana Sangita, the Connected Discourses about Causality, uh, Section 12, Sutta 23. As an awakening factor, tranquility, pasadhi, is related to physical and mental calmness, and is therefore a direct antidote to the hindrance, restlessness and worry, udacha kukucha, which makes you feel itchy just hearing it. As a... Uh, <coughs> As a part of the causal sequence leading to concentration, the awakening factor tranquility leads to a happy state of mind. So pasadi leads to sukha, to contentment, in, as in that proximal cause discourse, which in turn facilitates concentration. So uh, this is uh, one of the the, um, the the kind of teachings also that, that Ajahn Chah would emphasize is that you know if you keep the precepts, uh, then it's it's not uh, disconnected from concentration because if you keep the precepts then you haven't got anything to regret 
um, so that your mind is uh, is at ease, and so that because your mind's at ease and your body is relaxed, then uh, there's a quality of contentment, and when the mind is content, it's much easier to concentrate. So, like, if you're happy to be at Amravati, um, then <coughs> your mind is not thinking about all the other places that you could be. Right? If you're content here, your mind is not conjuring up a whole list of other places where you could be and other things you can be doing. If this is where you want to be and, this, and you like it here, it doesn't create those other things. If you don't want to be here, if you're fed up with Amravati and you really want to be somewhere else, your mind creates all kinds of other possibilities and uh, interesting alternatives. Um, so contentment is uh, uh, so. Then <coughs> you then have if if your uh, the mind is agitated and looking for other places to be, you have to work against that to try and say no, no, just be here, just be here, just be here. If there's contentment, you don't have to say just be here because you're happy here already. That makes sense. So it's a it's a, a very simple relationship uh, in in essence, and um, so that that. Uh, seeing how contentment uh, supports concentration. Also, Ajahn Chah talked about that a lot in the West because things like uh, sila were not very very popular. People wanted meditation and insight, uh, but they didn't want to bother uh, to pay attention to their behavior and their, and their livelihood or their relationships and entertainment systems and such like. And uh, <clears throat> and he would say, well, you know, you're creating all these causes for distraction and, and confusion. And then you have to go into the hall to, kind of to, to calm it all down. This is like a, a boxer that's just hardly even recovered from the previous fight. And you've still got kind of your eyes are cut and your teeth are swollen. And, you, and that you, you've hardly recovered from your last set of wounds and you're getting back in the ring to get beaten up again. So uh, he was I- impressed by the, the diligence that people had on the retreats. But he was also amazed by how stupidly they behaved outside the retreat. <laughs> So he said, it'd be much easier if you didn't stir your mind up. Then when you go into the retreat, you'd have, le- you'd have less uh, less damage to repair. Duh. Well, he didn't say that, but the, the kind of Northeast Thai equivalent of, of duh. But, uh, he was very compassionate and just uh, pointed out this uh, this relationship people had to their, their conduct and uh, the, the task of, of uh, calming the mind. So, as part of the causal sequence leading to concentration, the awakening factor of tranquility leads to a happy state of mind, which in turn facilitates concentration. Concentration then arises because of the development of calmness and lack of distraction. According to the discourses, concentration with and without initial mental application can serve as an awakening factor. The culmination of the development of the awakening factors comes with the establishment of equanimity, upekā, a balanced state of mind resulting from concentration. Such refined mental balance and equipoise corresponds to a level of well-developed satipatthana when the meditator is capable of dwelling, quote, independently without clinging to anything in the world, unquote, as stipulated in the refrain. So it's also um, with with equanimity, um, the uh, it's helpful to to recollect. And again, the English word equanimity uh, is it's one of those upekā um, uh, is a word that is very hard to find an English a perfect English equivalent. So equanimity uh, tends to have a hint of 
of uh, indifference, or, and, uh, and sometimes in, in the early days, Upeka was just translated as indifference, like, whatever, you know, who cares? Um, and that uh, uh, sort of like an, emo- an emotional flatness. But it's also important to remember that Upeka is the most refined of the four Brahma Viharas. It's like it's a great radiance. It's not just an absence of feeling. It's a, a vast brightness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable. And so we miss that fact, that aspect of upeka in the English word equanimity. So for a while, Lumpur Sumedha was using the word serenity, which has a bit more of a glow to it. But um, even so, it's it's in a way you have it's like dhammas or sankharas or vinyana. You have to kind of leave it untranslated. Really, upeka has um, its own particular uh, tone and sort of const- constellation of meanings. Um, and uh, so it's one of those those terms that you have to sort of work with it, reflect on it, and then get your own sense for what it's referring to. Also, as the as the, the sort of the culmination of the seven factors of enlightenment, it's not just emotional blankness. It's not just not agitated. Um, it, there's a uh, um, there's a kind of um, a sort of perfection there. And there's there's um, uh, it's sometimes said that. Uh, on the level of conditioned conditioned dhammas, the upeka equanimity is the sort of the, the closest comparison to nibbana, it's, as a as a sort of a, a mental condition, you know, a condition that begins and ends. It's as a, the closest parallel to the piece of nibbana, but well, still a condition thing. I, I've never seen that actually written down in a scripture, but I, I've heard it said by by people. Uh, so that that. Uh, uh, also, considering that it's the seventh in the list of the uh, of the factors of enlightenment, it's the tenth parameter. It's the, like the the culmination of the of the ten parameters. It's the last of the uh, of the um, uh, four Brahma Viharas. And, and usually, in, in the Buddha's lists, it goes from the coarsest to the most refined. You know, number one will be the sort of the coarse end, and then the, the the last one on the list will be the most refined. So it's the tenth parameter. Tenth of the spiritual perfections. It's the seventh of the fact of the seven facts of enlightenment. It's the fourth of the um, uh, of the Brahma Viharas, and so it's uh, it's helpful to 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 bear that in mind. All oh, right, this is something that's very powerful. It's very very bright. It's it's a there's a a, a tremendous strength there. There's a subtlety to it. And a number of years ago, uh, Ajahn Punadamo and I were um, invited to do a uh, we would uh, uh, him uh, and myself and uh, Taranya, a laywoman dhamma teacher, uh, would do a. We'd, the three of us would lead a ten-day retreat together at uh, Insight Meditation Society, um, uh, and uh, we'd often do like a study workshop at the at the the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies just down the road. And one year we were invited to to do a a, a weekend workshop on on upeka and equanimity, and. Um, the first thought both of us had was Taranya had to do something else. She, she wasn't involved in that one. It was just Ajahn Punadama and myself. And we thought, Upeka for a whole weekend. What's there to say about Upeka? And then the, independently we started sort of looking at uh, suttas and, and, uh, and sort of fishing around in various texts. And then we both came to the conclusion a weekend is not going to be enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a, it's a very, very rich topic. I think you can get the recordings of that weekend. They're, they're available through Dharma Seed. Mm-hmm. 
if you're interested. As from in Thailand, a nice translation of the uh, which was just neutrality. And neutrality. Neutrality. And then uh, not interested in sins. <laughs> not interested in sins. That might not work very well in English. It sort of doesn't really come across as a great radiance. I would say. But also neutrality, uh, that, it, that in English that comes across as very, very flat. And, and, but so the, the aspect of Upeka as you know, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, it's like the, the Brahma Viharas are these divine, uh, you know, divine abiding states, the so loving kindness, compassion, uh, appreciative joy. And then Upeka, you get well, equanimity, uh, it, it, does, it, it doesn't carry the same kind of uh, radiant tone. So, yes, Sudanthi. Huh? Luminosity. Well, yeah, luminosity is part of it. Uh, it it's a, but you have, because the, the, the particular aspect of, of Upeka is also, when everything else is agitated, it's not agitated. It's that kind of, when everything is shaking, it's not shaking. It's that, uh, so you have that kind of abundance, and that the, the translations of it tend to uh, uh, sort of emphasize that sort of immovable or steady quality to it. But they they miss that abundant, exalted, immeasurable uh, quality. So finding a term that both represents that radical stability and un- unshakability, but yet also that uh, uh, the immeasurable, uh, radiant aspect as well is is a um, as, that's a challenge. Okay, so to continue, practically applied, the whole set of seven awakening factors can be understood to describe the progress of Satipatthana practice to this deep level, sorry, to this level of deep equanimity. On the basis of well-established mindfulness, so then he goes through this, this the, the sequence as you have it at the end of the Anapanasati Sutta. So, okay, on the basis of well-established mindfulness, One investigates the nature of subjective reality, that's to say, investigation of Dhammas. Once sustained investigation gains momentum, through energy, with growing insight, the object of contemplation becomes clearer, and the meditator feels inspired, it's joy, uh, inspired to continue with the practice. If at this point the danger of getting carried away by elation and agitation can be avoided. Like, wow, this is amazing, this is incredible, this is fantastic. Uh, okay, that's the, that's the mindfulness says, hang on a minute, getting the needles over in the red. <laughs> Chill. Uh, then, uh, that elation and agitation can be avoided. Continued contemplation leads to a state of calmness, pasadhi. When the mind stays effortlessly with its meditation object, without succumbing to distraction, uh, that's to say concentration. With maturing insight, this process culminates in a state of firm equanimity and detachment. It is at this point when the inspired momentum of mindful investigation takes place against a background of tranquil composure 
that the mental equipoise needed for the breakthrough to awakening comes about. At this level of practice, a deep sense of completely letting go prevails. In the discourses, such letting go as a, as a central purpose of developing the bojangas forms the culmination of a set of attributes frequently associated with the awakening factors. For example, in the um, uh, Anapanasati Sutta, and it says, how does the, uh, the, the seven factors of enlightenment lead to uh, liberation and, and um, um, uh, full knowledge and, uh, and awareness. These attributes stipulate that in, in order to actualize the awakening potential of the Bojangas, they need to be based on seclusion, viveka, on fading away, viraga, or dispassion, on cessation, nirodha, since in this way they will lead to letting go, vosagha. So viveka, viraga, nirodha, vosagha, uh, which was mentioned uh, uh, the other day, I think. Oh, that was with the Nicarikas and, and Karikars. And, but yeah, so that then that uh, um, those four qualities, uh, then the, the Buddha says, uh, based on on seclusion, on dispassion, on fading away, they they, they culminate in vosaga, in letting go, or, or also vosaga is translated as uh, abandonment or relinquishment. It's a kind of complete quality of non-ownership or akinchina is another Pali word for, for not, not owning. So based on seclusion, dispassion and cessation then they lead to, to letting go. Equanimity and mental balance as the consummation of the other six awakening factors also constitutes the climax in the commentarial scheme of the insight knowledges in which Quote, equanimity in regard to all conditioned phenomena, Sankaru Pekanyana, marks the culmination of the series and the suitable mental condition for the event of realization. So that's the uh, 16 stages of insight that you get in the commentaries and that uh, in the Mahasi Sayadaw uh, practice and meditation technique that the, um, uh, as it says, it culminates in this Sankaru Pekanyana, the um, equanimity in regard to all conditioned phenomena. That's the, the last of those 16, uh, as it says. So before we have the, the last section of the chapter, any questions, comments, reflections? Yes. Uh, I don't know I understood this properly. If I'm wrong, I want to clarify this. By getting rid of five hindrances, you develop the Sattapurjana and you can end the enlightenment. And if you take the five hindrances, Kama, Chanda, Vyapada, Uddha, Tapu, Kutya, Vichikitya, Timid, Vichikitya, last week we discussed about the Dasa Sanyojana, 10 factors. Mm -hmm. Now, first three, the first three factors, Sakkayaniti, Vichikitya, Sila, Pati, Paramasa, mm -hmm. they are not hindrances. It's only the Vichikitya is part of the five hindrances. Well, they um, they are. You see, the the uh, in a way, the the five hindrances are principally hindrances to concentration. That's how they're. Well, I mean, they're described in different ways, but um, 
say uh, uh, the 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 Buddha speaks about getting uh, beyond the five hindrances and establishing samadhi, establishing concentration. The ten fetters, the sanyojanas, are they're fetters, they're obstacles to uh, into wisdom, to insight. So you could say a, a hindrance and a fetter, they're kind of similar to each other, a nivarana, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a bit of overlap. But principally, the five hindrances are hindrances to concentration, and the um, uh, and that's how they are, are very often characterized. And then the the ten fetters are are um, <coughs> obstacles to to wisdom, to to insight. It's not a uh, it's not they're not totally separate, but it's sort of more in that direction. So that's how one way of looking at it. The um, I mean, having said that, you you have this um, the, in the Bojanga Sangyutta, they they pair off with each other, and you have that the, this that uh, second sutta where it's sort of feeding the hindrances and starving the factors of enlightenment, uh, feeding the factors of enlightenment and starving the hindrances, and they 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 are they are sort of exist very much in relationship to each other. Also, there was another comment. I don't know if you were here the other day when uh, Venerable Analeo pointed out that. The five hindrances you can that there's two of them that are actually double. So you have udacha kukucha, is a double one, and then um, tinamita is a double one. So that you uh, you can you can make them into seven if you need. So that you have seven hints, uh, seven hindrances and seven factors of enlightenment as a sort of partnership. Um, you know, it's like with many aspects of the dhamma, it's it's helpful to pick them up and to see well how do they fit together and and uh, does does this match that? Uh, how do they relate? You know, the uh, a while ago I was just reflecting on the five hindrances and the five indriya, and how they might line up together. And um, you know, there's there's no particular place in the scriptures where the the Buddha says, on the one hand, you have got the five indriya, you know, that uh, faith. Um, Faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, and the five hindrances. But I thought, okay, well, hang on, can you put them together? How would they work with each other? Do they, and and just uh, you know, pick them up and reflect on them in, in that way and see how they see how they fit, and then just rec- uh, recognizing what kind of insight or understanding comes from that. And sometimes you realize, no, they're completely different species. They don't. <laughs> You're kind of putting apples and, and, and oranges uh, together. That doesn't really fit. Or it might be like, oh, well, that's interesting. That actually works. That, that's actually very closely related. Uh, that works together very neatly. Aha, uh-huh, look at that. So that's, uh, that's a, in terms of Dhamma Vijaya, that's a useful, th- I find that's a useful thing to do and to, um, to explore how things are, are put together. And so, so like the other, uh, uh, I just actually just uh, in the last day or two we've posted a, um, a series of four little books on the Brahma, on the Brahma Viharas that I just did um, little booklets and um, they uh, first, I didn't realize they were a series about the Brahma Viharas I just had several little um, pieces I was preparing and then I realized oh this one's about Metta this one's about Karuna and that one's about uh, about oh yes that's that, that's about causality isn't it yeah, the reflection on causality is about Upeka. Oh, oh, it's a shame I haven't got one about Mudita. Then I could make a set. That was my thinking. 
and then I realized, well, hang on a minute, I've got this this other piece about um, uh, about dependent origination and addiction. Yeah, and I thought, well, is that about well, how would that would be about mudita? And I thought, well, actually, if you think about it, mudita um, is about having joy at the other uh, other people getting what they want, and addiction uh, and and craving is all about what getting what I want. Oh, look at that! And I never thought of it before in that way. And uh, then, okay, well, how would that work? So then you think, okay, let's look at. Uh, craving and ignorance and addiction in terms of being the opposite of mudita, of, of uh, happiness at the good fortune and the gain of others, and, and then realize, yeah, well, actually, that's that 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 is a bit of a partnership. Never thought of that before, and so the, you know that that kind of thing. I enjoy doing that, and you can often um, see, yeah, that's because when you're when you're focused on what I want or what's important for me, and yeah. My job, or what I, you know, getting what I like, or my family, or you know, my my career. You're not thinking about the other person at all. You know, when you when you want to, you know, someone's going for a job interview, you don't have much thought about the other person, <laughs> the other people. You want to beat them because you want the job. They are the others. And when someone else gets the job, you don't think, "Oh, I feel so happy for them. They got selected." <laughs> You think, damn, that's not fair. M- many years ago, I think I actually talk about it in that in that little booklet. I forget now, but uh, about Mudita, there's this uh, in uh, San Francisco. We used to rent this uh, Episcopalian church, a Church of England, uh, St Aidan's Church, to have our meetings a couple of day, couple of days a week, and we got very friendly with a minister, uh, a, a Episcopalian minister called Jim Jelinek. And he, uh, so and he, he had been in Thailand, and he was very happy to have Buddhists, meet, you know, having their meetings in his church. And so, um, we went. He took me out for a meal one day um, at a Thai restaurant. I think I remember. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fondness for Thailand, so it was a good excuse for him to go to a Thai restaurant. And he told me the story. He said that uh, he had um, a couple of months before he'd applied for the position of being bishop of Carmel. The Carmel's a a town a little bit further south down the coast from San Francisco. It's quite a sort of posh and a beautiful little town by the sea. And he really liked the idea of becoming Bishop of Carmel. And so, and he applied for the for the post. And he got into the last three. And the, the Episcopalian Church, like the Church of England, had this very very complicated process of voting and rounds and rounds and rounds of voting to choose someone to be a bishop or of a particular post. So he said he got into the last three and he. Said, and then they picked the other guy. And he said, so first of all, I was having very unchristian thoughts. And, and feeling all kind of huffy and like, well, that's not fair. And then, and it was really kind of upset and wondering whether he should complain about the selection process and grumble, grumble, grumble. And then he said what happened was, so there was a like that for about six weeks. And he said, and a couple of weeks ago, I think it was apropos of nothing, uh, significant. He was like he was shaving or or uh, he was sitting in the uh, at the at a traffic light, and he suddenly realised they picked the best bloke for the job. Like, what? <laughs> and he realised actually he's much better qualified than me. And uh, and it just sort of hit him that which he didn't want to see before. 
actually he was the better candidate and uh, and he and he said uh, I was surprised by that and then he said well actually I'm re- I feel really glad for the people of Carmel they got the better bloke <laughs> so and then as it turned out about three years later he applied to be the bishop of Minnesota so he, and he got appointed <laughs> I think he still is but it was a it was a good uh, story about uh, how um, Mudita is not the first thought. <laughs> it's more about jealousy and self-righteousness and like, what about me? I want. And my family is the most important in my career and my things and uh, what I, getting what I like. You know, when, when, uh, when it's the mealtime, how many people think, oh dear, there's, there's only two slices of cake left. I better leave that because there's eight people behind me. Maybe one of them will want that because I know it's my favorite cake. And so it's probably the favorite cake of some of these good people behind me. So I should, it'd be good for me to leave it. And then they'll be happy. Then they'll be good. If the mind thinks in that way, well, Satu, Satu. <laughs> Congratulations. But it's a, it's a bit of a rarity. And I'm not reading anybody's mind. If you, he knows, he knows. How did he know? I don't know. I just, I know, well, I know human nature. So I'm not reading. I have no ability to read individual people's minds. So just read, uh, read my mind. Okay. So let's finish this chapter if we can. So, so this is uh, the benefits of developing the awakening factors. The profitable effect of the awakening factors stands in direct opposition to the detrimental repercussions of the hindrances a contrast frequently mentioned in the discourses. So uh, that one, the second discourse in the Bojanga Sangyuta, that's the uh, feeding and starving. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, Sangyuta 46, Sutta number 2. Both these sets form aspects of Satipatthana contemplation and are of central importance in cultivating the mental conditions conducive to realization. According to the Buddha, these two aspects from among the contemplations of dhammas, removal of the hindrances and an establishment of the awakening factors, are the necessary conditions not only for realization, but also for developing mundane types of knowledge. The central importance of developing awareness in regard to these two sets of mental qualities is also reflected in the fact that all the Chinese and Sanskrit versions of contemplations of Dhammas, like in the various versions of Satipatthana Sutra, include the hindrances and the awakening factors. In contrast, none of these versions mentions the contemplation of the five aggregates, and several versions omit the contemplation of the sense spheres and the contemplation of the Four Noble Truths. So the various Sanskrit and Chinese versions of, of this Sutta so the only the only two that they have in all versions is the hindrances and the uh, the seven uh, factors of enlightenment. Thus, what remains as the unanimously accepted core of contemplation of dhammas in all different versions are the five hindrances and the seven awakening factors, a finding which underlines their importance. This finding has a parallel in the Vibhanga which also lists only these two meditation practices in its account of contemplation of Dhammas. To overcome the hindrances to practice Satipatthana and to establish the awakening factors are indeed, according to several Pali discourses, the key aspects 
and the distinctive features common to the awakenings of all Buddhas, past, present, and future. That's a, and he quotes a couple of suttas from the from the Diga Nikaya. So that's a significant point. Okay, so the overcoming the hindrances, practicing satipatthana, establishing the factors of awakening. Uh, these are the the key aspects and distinctive features common to the awakening of all Buddhas, past, present, and future. So significant. Developing the awakening factors can be combined with a broad range of meditation exercises, including, for example, contemplation of a decaying corpse, the divine abodes, mindfulness of breathing, or contemplation of the three characteristics. This indicates that to contemplate the awakening factors does not mean that one has to relinquish one's primary object of meditation. Rather, one is aware of these seven mental qualities as facets of one's progress towards insight during actual practice, and one consciously develops and balances them so that the contemplation of one's primary object can give rise to awakening. So that whether the, 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 uh, the sort of main practice that you're doing is contemplating death of a body or the Brahma-viharas or Anicca Dukkha Anatta, then the seven factors of enlightenment, their presence, absence, and, and those qualities can be um, something that you're bearing in mind and, and looking at as a way of measuring um, the quality of progress and the, the, the development of, of insight and, and uh, the, say the progress of that practice. There is a sense of mental mastery in this ability to oversee the development of insight during Satipatthana practice and to supervise the harmonious interaction of the awakening factors. The discourses illustratively compare this sense of mental mastery to being able to choose any garment from a full wardrobe. And again, that's in the Bojanga Sangyutta. Uh, sutta number four is the one about uh, you can choose which kind of uh, attribute you want to, to use by just like choosing the blue shirt or the, the red socks or whatever, choosing from your, from your wardrobe. And um, also, so that say, for example, if you're um, contemplating a, a dead body and you realize the mind is getting a bit sort of uh, agitated or um, a, a bit uh, stirred up, then you, okay, this is too much agitation, calm it down, more pasadi, more concentration. Or if, you, um, if you're contemplating the three characteristics and you're, uh, you're drifting off, falling asleep, okay, need to crank up the, the virya and the dhamma-vijaya. So that it's like you're you're using those those elements to sort of to back up the the main practice that you're doing. As indicated, and he also he's got another one of his handy dandy diagrams listing the different um, commentarial sources about each of the seven uh, factors of, of awakening and uh, different aspects of them that are encouraged, and so that can be consulted at your leisure. As indicated by the discourses, a revelation of the awakening factors takes place only when a Buddha and his teaching have arisen. Hence, in the eyes of the early Buddhists, the development of the awakening factors was a specifically Buddhist teaching. That other contemporary ascetics were also instructing their disciples to develop the awakening factors was, according to the commentaries, simply a case of imitation. The relation of the seven factor, awakening factors to the Buddha, 
together with their qualification as treasures on another occasion, is reminiscent of the universal monarch, the Chakravati Raja, who is similarly in possession of seven precious treasures. And um, in the, again, in the Bojanga Sangyuta, one of the discourses presents both the seven treasures of a Tathagata, which are the seven awakening factors, and the seven treasures of a universal monarch, which are called the wheel treasure, the elephant treasure, the horse treasure, the jewel treasure, the woman treasure, the steward treasure, and the counselor treasure, each endowed with magical qualities. So that the seven treasures of a Buddha, of a Tathagata, are the seven awakening factors. Just as the realization of universal sovereignty depends on those seven precious possessions and is heralded by the arising of the wheel treasure, the Chakaratana, for a universal monarch, so too the realization of awakening depends on seven mental treasures, the awakening factors, and is heralded by the arising of sati, of mindfulness. And then the last, uh, his last little comment, last paragraph says, the beneficial effect of the awakening factors is not confined to mental conditions, since several discourses report that their recollection, like the recollection of the seven Pojangas, uh, uh, sufficed for curing some arahants, including the Buddha himself, of physical illness. Associations of cure and illness also underlie the formulation in the final meditation practice in the Satipatthana Sutta, contemplation of the Four Noble Truths, to which I will turn in the next chapter. So one of the paritas, one of the blessing and protective chants that we do, the Bojanga Parita, recounts those incidents. And again, they're, they're in the Bojanga Sangita, uh, suttas number 14, 15, and 16. And it talks about um, uh, arahants like Chunda, who was a younger brother of uh, Venerable Sariputta, and Moggallana, and, uh, and the Buddha himself, when they were ill, reciting the seven factors of, uh, of awakening, and then their illness um, uh, being cured and, and uh, such like. So again, you can look those up in the um, uh, in the Bojanga Sangyuta, but uh, this is one of the chants that we, we do regularly. And particularly if someone's asked for us to do Purita chanting, if there's illness, you always do the Bojanga Purita, which, re, uh, which in, say, uh, lists uh, the seven uh, bo- uh, the seven uh, factors of awakening: Bojango Sadi Sangato Dhamma Nangajayodita Veriyam Pati Pasadi Bojanga Chachata Pare, and so on. And it goes through; it mentions the different uh, incidents where um, the the Buddha and the Venerable Chunda, uh, Venerable Mahamogalana, and the others were uh, encouraged to recite those, and then uh, the, their illness was cured. So it doesn't mean to say that if you are if you are ill and you recite the seven factors of enlightenment, you will magically be cured but it'll be a, a useful teaching to reflect on anyway whether the body gets better or not it'll be it'll stand you in good stead uh maybe in sri lanka i i don't uh, i don't think it's used in thailand i mean i know it's it, it's a significant suit on that but uh in thailand um I don't think it's used as a purita in that way. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, certainly the bojanga is uh, is always used like that. Um, um, I'm a little bit confused about the difference between tranquility and equanimity. Um, could you explain a little bit? Uh, well, it's a, one of those good things to sit down in the temple and think, hmm, pasadhi. 
So, so pasadi is um, uh, just like the word uh, tranquility. It's relating to uh, a physical and mental quality of calmness, right? Where um, and so that there's that in a way it's it's more of a um, like an energetic quality, like a, the 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 system is like a a um, um, is very settled. And then uh, uh, upeka has you know, it's, it's similar, but it has more of a um, of this aspect of uh, uh, vastness, like it's one of the immeasurables. So the um, uh, um, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, you know, the, the, the kind of adjectives used to, to describe it. So um, the it's also you could say that the pasadi is related to the um, the the object side of it. That the the system is calm, the objects are calm, and the upeka is more on the 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 subject side, is the attitude towards it. So that when everything else is 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 uh, agitated, the upeka is reflecting to uh, reflect is a reflection of the the attitude of the on the subject side of like the mind is completely cool in relationship to everything that's going on. But it's one of those the uh, these are the kind of areas where it's like hmm, what does that mean or what's it connected to or what, uh, where does it come from? Sometimes also looking it up in the dictionary and seeing. Where the what the root of the word is can be uh, uh, can be helpful. And you like, oh, like like sati, you know. Oh, it, oh, it's related to sarati, which means to remember. Huh. So sati's got something to do with remembering. Uh-huh. So that can often be an interesting get your PTS dictionary out. Also, another good resource is Nyanati Loka's Buddhist dictionary, and uh, that's great. Very um, Good explanations, and it's a, a very, very valuable resource. We've got lots of copies in the library, and uh, and also he gives the, the the etymology of the words often, and and uh, also where they're used. So sometimes when you see where it's used in different suttas, you go, oh, okay, that has that kind of a tone, and this is used in this kind of a way. Yeah. Um, yes. In terms of uh, awakening factors, uh, is it a universal sequence? Because um, if I understand about the jhanas, good, then jhanas are for developing tranquility too. But you have a different type of meditators who are better in concentration and skip the tranquility and jhanas and go straight into developing insight. So, um, is it a universal sequence of awakening factors, or it depends on the type of a meditator? It depends on the on the person. It's like, there's there's very it's very rare that things are uh, in in the Buddha's teaching are like a fixed A. It's always A before B, always B before C, and um, and that because uh, you know, life is very very rarely built like that either, <laughs> and so. Um, just like I was saying, that you have the representation of it. Oh, you know, in this, you know, mindfulness leads to to um, uh, uh, investigation. Investigation leads to energy. But the other times, they they they're more um, uh, say 
ran, uh, not exactly randomly uh, listed, but they're they're not listed in a causal chain. And uh, and also one of the things that Ajahn Chah would, uh, uh, when when people would ask questions about jhana or about well, like the progress of insight, the sixteen stages of insight, because in the sixties uh, in Thailand uh, there was a lot of interest in the Mahasi uh, side or technique and. It had just been introduced from Burma in the late 50s, and so people were really inspired by that. And that was often you know, when people did meditation, quote unquote, they were, they were doing the Mahasi method. And so then people would come and, uh, and, uh, and ask Ajahn Chah about it. And it's, and it's uh, very specific about the 16 stages and what each stage consists of, and such like. And uh, so after some time, Ajahn Chah, you know, he realized he didn't. Uh, uh, he didn't find it very useful because he said sometimes somebody experiences stage 9 before stage 3 and then they experience stage 12 and then stage 5 <laughs> and you can't say well you're not experiencing that whereas the, 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 so the text would say no 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 that, that can't really be a stage 13 because it's it, you haven't got past, past stage 4 yet well and then he realized well the person what they're describing that's exactly what it's it's speaking about so you know the the mind isn't working in the, according to the 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 order in the in the recipe you know it's it's, it's not a function that way so he would start with the mind and, and person individual experience rather than what the what the book sort of said it should be like or how it should be you have that as a rough guide uh, as a sort of um but it, you know, it's, it's, it gives you some pointers and some tools, but the the significant thing is is your own experience and how things how you see what things working together in your mind because people have very different dispositions. Okay, um, I remember I was teaching a um, like a like a, a retreat up in um, Washington State, a little retreat center there, and this uh, and this fellow. Who was on the retreat said, um, uh, "I don't have any um, problem with thinking. You know, you, you keep talking about thinking being a problem in meditation, and says, I have no problems. I can just decide to concentrate, and I can concentrate. So I just decide okay, I'll put my mind onto that, um, and it just goes there. So, yeah, I, I I can't understand why you keep talking about." Concentration and needing to let go of thought because I don't. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so he had a lot. Uh, has had natural, uh, naturally, very great powers of concentration. But then, as I talked to him, I found out that he said, "Well, um, I guess my mind does want. I mean, I, I know. I, I guess I do know what you, I do know what you mean about wandering mind because." Um, if I'm not doing the meditation, or if I just decide I'm, I don't want to bother doing that, I uh, I invent recipes. And he was a cook, and he could he could ima- he could imagine recipes. He could put the ingredients together in his mind, and and know exactly what they would taste like, just through his imagination. And he, so I think I, I think I do know what you mean about the wandering mind, but it's uh, but. Uh, um, and the idea of thinking a list of ingredients and being able to taste the flavor in your mouth is inconceivable to me. But he was a cook, and he'd been doing it for 40 years. So that's what his mind could do. But he also had 
uh, extraordinary degrees of concentration. Maybe because you've been working in frantic kitchens <laughs> on a tight time schedule, and you he had to focus 100. Yeah, percent um, and so he trained his mind just could put it on an object, and, uh, and it was just stay there. So in the what's relevant to one person is completely irrelevant to another. I mean, how many Dhamma talks do you get about uh, imagining flavors? Not that many. <laughs> and he, he was, uh, yeah, he, the way he described it is quite extraordinary. He could say, you know, it's, it's missing something. It's, now what's it missing? It's missing something. And, and he said, and he was just describing this process where he's, he, you know, he's decided to conjure up a recipe, and he's sitting in the woods in in uh, southern Washington. I think I know. There was that kind of pomegranate that I came across in Cairo back in in the late seventies. Yes, that would do. And he could imagine that particular flavor of pomegranate plunked into that particular recipe. Thing. Yes, that's what it needs. <laughs> and and he could taste it in his imagination. So that's not a kind of ability or problem that many people have. So but you you, know, <clears throat> you have to craft the teaching and the practice to fit you know, how how things actually work for you. And uh, what so the disposition conditioned by your your language, your uh, your character, your, your education, you know, the, the past experiences, how, what practices you've done, and so on. It all has its effect. So that, uh, it's uh, you're weighing up all those different elements and then, and then uh, you apply, so bringing the, the verbal teachings or the conceptual teachings then to, to, to line up against what your own the actual experience is and then letting that uh, you, you measure about you measure it by what actually works, rather than what should work. <laughs> okay, that's enough for today.